Monday. Welcome to the Colby Daniels Podcast presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products, including Kratom, CBD, and Delta 8. If you're unfamiliar with these products or their benefits, it's all about educating yourself, and they have a staff that's dedicated to helping you live a better life. So don't hesitate to give them a call, 405-458-9699. Plus, we're saving you 15% off your online order. Check out abotanicalcompany.com. Use the discount code COLBYSHOW. Once again, to save 15% when you order online, abotanicalcompany.com. All right, we've got a lot of stuff to talk about today, um, and we're going to have a couple guests. Uh, The play-by-play voice of the Baylor Bears, John Morris, is going to join me from Indianapolis as he's preparing to call tonight's national championship game. So we will uh, check in with John in just a moment. Mike Steely also going to uh, touch base with me, and we'll uh, preview the Masters from his perspective. Mike is the biggest Masters fan I know, uh, and if you are looking for great Masters coverage all week long, plus Masters giveaways, make sure you check out Mike Steely's stream. Just go to go check out his Twitter. All the information is there for his uh, afternoon streams, but he did let me know that there are going to be a lot of Masters giveaways, so make sure you check that out. But again, tonight's national championship game, Gonzaga, Baylor, I think clearly we have the best two teams in college basketball playing. To me, they are the most exciting teams in college basketball. I was trying to think of a, a national championship matchup that I've been more excited about in college basketball, and over the last 10 or 15 years, I, I don't think there is a single matchup that I have been as excited as about going into as as this one tonight. I think you have to go back to maybe some of the the 90s to early 2000s matchups for me as far as the title game and and gen, genuinely feeling like the best two teams are are going to head to head in the in the title game. So this is a fun game and then look, the Jalen Suggs buzzer beater on Saturday night. It's overtime. You have the freshman phenom hitting the the Damian Lillard range uh, game winner. Uh, it, I mean, what a shot that was. What a scene that was. And look, if Gonzaga is able to go on and win this thing tonight, that shot is just going to be considered that much more great. You know, if, if it's um, like the Tyus Edney situation, right? Tyus Edney years ago, what, 95 or 96, has that game-winning shot against Missouri in the second round. UCLA goes on to win the national title, which makes that shot that much more special. So um, we'll see what the outcome is tonight. But either way, I think that's that's on the Mount Rushmore of the great March Madness bu- buzzer beaters of all time. And, and look, as far as just big shots in the NCAA tournament, I, I was thinking about this over the weekend. Uh, I, Christian Leitner, obviously twice, uh, against Connecticut and Kentucky, hit monster buzzer beaters. Um, I just referenced the Tyus Edney coast-to-coast shot uh, against Missouri. The Bryce Drew uh, shot against Ole Miss. That actually took place at the old Marriott in Oklahoma City. Uh, Chris Jenkins hitting the shot at, at the buzzer for uh, Villanova to beat North Carolina in the national championship. Um, the Mario Chalmers shot against Memphis. Uh, I don't think that was a buzzer beater. I think there were a few seconds left on the clock when he made that shot. But in terms of just big shots and big moments, that that's probably in there for me. Um, speaking of Kansas, the Trey Burke shot, uh, Michigan against Kansas in, uh, was that a Final Four game or an Elite Eight game? I, I can't remember. But um, that was one that, that kind of came to mind as far as just the the big-time shots and big moments of the NCAA tournament. So, great stuff there. Uh, also, Oklahoma has hired Porter Moser, head coach uh, of uh, the Oklahoma basketball team now from Loyola, Chicago. Um, I'll talk about this a little bit later in the week, but 
I'll just say home run hire for Josie and that athletic department to get Porter Moser, who I think was one of the hottest names in all of college basketball. And certainly if you had a coach opening, no matter what your school is, I mean, if Kentucky's job would have opened up, I think Porter Moser is one of the guys on that list. So I think uh, OU hit a home run with the Porter Moser hire. So here is play-by-play voice of the Baylor Bears, John Morris. I am joined by the play-by-play voice of the Baylor Bears, John Morris from Indianapolis as Baylor gets ready to compete for a national championship tonight against Gonzaga. There are a million storylines, I think, attached to this specific matchup. But first of all, John, how are you and, and how has the experience been in Indianapolis? Well, it's been great. Uh, I think Indianapolis has done a great job hosting this, you know, not just the Final Four, but hosting the entire tournament this year. And it's uh, it's been wild. We've spent a lot of time here in Indianapolis, got to know the area well. But uh, just kudos to the city for hosting and for the NCAA for finding a way to make it work. Yeah, look, it's, it's one of those things where everybody's kind of learning on the fly, right? We've never been through this sort of tournament. And I would imagine at least these these uh, later rounds, since the, the opening two rounds have gone a little more smoothly considering everybody's kind of back in the same spaces. Yeah, I think so. I think it was just kind of an overload. Uh, when you think about it, 68 teams were here when this tournament started. But even at that, I, I think things went very smoothly. I, I think they've done a really, really good job uh, to the point that I'm hearing the NCAA is saying, hey, listen, uh, we made this work and uh, look at all the uh, costs we've saved in travel and things like that. And, and when some contracts uh, uh, are expire in the future, they may look at doing this again. You know, maybe not the entire tournament, but maybe from the Sweet 16 on in one location and not travel around and fly teams all over the country so much. So I think that, to me, says uh, the experiment has worked really, really well. Well, look, if if the experiment says anything, we're getting the best two teams, the most entertaining teams in this championship tonight. I, I actually think the last time you and I spoke was right before they were supposed to play the first time around, and that game obviously got canceled, but it worked out where... I think everybody pretty much across the board agreed these were the best two teams, and that now they're the last two standing. Yeah, isn't that funny? It was uh, exactly four months ago today, it was December 5th, that Baylor and Gonzaga were supposed to play a non-conference game here in Indianapolis, and it didn't happen about 90 minutes before tip-off. They had to pull the plug because of COVID issues, and uh, they wanted Coach Drew and Coach Few worked really hard to try to reschedule that, but then you get into conference play, and there's just no good time to do it. So it never happened during the regular season. But uh, lo and behold, the, the last game of the year for all the marbles for the national championship, <laughs> Baylor and Gonzaga are finally going to get to play tonight. Well, tell me about this NCAA tournament run, because the only question I had about Baylor entering this tournament wasn't necessarily whether or not they were the best team. It was whether or not with all the layoff they had, were they going to be playing their best basketball as they came into this thing? And, and they've been in some close games. Obviously, the Houston game was was a blowout and, and really a full display of what Baylor is capable of. But uh, it's, this tournament ride has been pretty exceptional. What have you noticed about this team? No, I think you're exactly right, Colby, that uh, Baylor, it took them some time to get back from that law, uh, that uh, layoff, that three-week layoff that we had. It was a full three weeks between games. Uh, we played Texas in Austin on February 2nd and didn't play again until we hosted Iowa State in Waco on February 23rd. 
So that's a long break in the middle of the season, and it just took this team some time to get their rhythm back, to get uh, you know clicking like they were before that layoff. Um, we did come back, struggled with Iowa State, and won the game, and that was Baylor's 18th win in a row. They were 18-0 and at that point, then lost the next game at Kansas, one of only two losses on the year for Baylor. But I, I think now if you saw the uh, first half of the Houston game uh, in the uh, Final Four on Saturday – uh, I think everybody would agree that Baylor's back. They've got that rhythm back. They've got that defensive intensity back. That's been a real barometer to, to watch with these guys. And uh, they are just back playing at that high level they were before the three-week layoff. I think my, fa- my favorite thing about this Baylor team, and this is also probably true of Gonzaga to a degree, the unselfishness overall. I think both of these rosters are incredibly gifted from top to bottom. It could be a different guy that leads the way in the scoring department on any given night. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Baylor's had uh, four different leading scores in their last four NCAA tournament games. And I think, again, that just speaks to the unselfishness and not trying to force the issue in any one area. They just kind of take the game as it comes. And, And to me, that's one thing that really separates them and makes them so refreshing to watch. You know, you're right. You're right on with that. And that shows, uh, you know, how there are, uh, you know, there's so many weapons with this Baylor team. They're so, uh, so varied. One night it could be Jared Butler. The next night it could be Macy O.T. Could be Davion Mitchell. Could be, you know, Adam Flagler off the bench has been our leading scorer a couple of times. Matt Meyer off the bench. So any of those games, and that's just the scoring aspect of it. Then you think about uh, lockdown defense, uh, any or all of those guys, you know, can be lockdown defenders as well. So um, there are, uh, they do spread the wealth around, and the way Baylor plays is so unselfish. Uh, their assist to turnover ratio is through the roof, and uh, it really doesn't matter to them who scores the bucket, just that Baylor gets the bucket and they get the best shot available every trip down the floor. For as much as this matchup has has been talked about over these last 48 hours, you know, obviously Jalen Suggs is the guy that hits the big shot for Gonzaga on Saturday. Uh, The Baylor guards don't need any spotlight from me, certainly, but they are the stars of the show, if you will. I'm curious what your thoughts are on the post matchup in this thing, because like I said, I think it's easy to get caught up on all the perimeter stars for these teams. Yeah, I, to me, that's the key. I mean, because you, you've got Drew Timmy and Corey Kispert that are, uh, you know, low, low post guys for Gonzaga, and they are great. I mean, they're All-American great players. And that those two are a handful for our bigs, uh, Flo Samba and Mark Vidal and Jonathan Chumwichatua. Our guys are really good. They're very athletic. They're very talented. But I, I don't know. I'm trying to think going through the Big 12 this year, maybe Texas, where we've seen that kind of length, uh, you know, and athleticism in the post position. And so, to me, you know, right now, you might be putting check marks, you know, in boxes, uh, who has the advantage here. You might say that Zaga has the advantage uh, in the uh, post position, um, but I would say Baylor has the advantage in the guard position. And, uh, you know, everybody's got to work together, uh, you know, so, so that'll be an area to watch tonight with the uh, very, very talented big that Gonzaga puts on the floor. I heard one of the national analysts say when this tournament began, if Baylor shoots well, they're, they're pretty much unbeatable. Uh, is, it, is it as simple as that tonight, you think? Um, I don't know. Maybe most games, yes. But Gonzaga leads the nation in the scoring offense. And they're, they lead the nation in field goal percentage. They're 55% of the team shooting from the floor, which is unbelievable. Uh, Baylor's at 50%, and that's really, really good. 
and Gonzaga's at 55%. So you might think, uh, you know, Baylor could score, but uh, then Gonzaga could match Baylor bucket for bucket. And then, then where do you turn? You know, then where is the advantage tonight? So uh, I, I, I think it's going to be a great matchup. I think it's going to be uh, uh, high sc- I think it will be high scoring. I think both teams uh, put a real premium on offense and transition and moving the ball up and down the floor. I really think Baylor uh, has uh, maybe has an edge on the defensive end. They just uh, uh, are so good, you know, defensively being able to lock down, led by Davion Mitchell, who's the national defensive player of the year. So um, it's going to be fun to see how this one plays out tonight. Were you able to stick around Saturday night and and catch the the, the finale of of Gonzaga's Gonzaga UCLA's matchup? I stayed, you know, I stayed and watched the first half and left at halftime to come back to the hotel and watch the end of it in the hotel room. But, uh, man, what a game that was, 93-90 in overtime. And, you know, we were wishing for uh, five overtimes to wear out for <laughs> one that game, to really wear them out before the game tonight. But that was some kind of game on Saturday. No doubt. I, I'm just curious, has the has the undefeated thing been talked about much within the, the Baylor side of things? Because certainly that is a, a massive storyline as far as Gonzaga is concerned. You know, not not from our perspective, because that's not Baylor. You know, it's them. And for their, from their perspective, I would think it would be really, really big. Uh, you know, no team since Indiana in 1976 has uh, gone through undefeated a full season. So that's the uh, history that uh, Gonzaga is uh, trying to set, uh, trying to uh, break and, and uh, make a new mark tonight if they can get to 32-0 and in a national championship. So that's more on Gonzaga's side. And I don't know, you know, I don't know them well enough to know if that's a, you know, if that's a burden to carry being undefeated or if it's something that, uh, you know, is a great motivation. I think it's probably a little bit of both for them. Yeah, for sure. Well, John, I, I certainly appreciate your time again. I know it's game day. I know you've got a lot going on, and, and I appreciate you taking a few minutes for me. Uh, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, and uh, I hope that uh, at the end of this thing, when, when you're watching one shining moment, that it's your guys uh, that are left standing. Ah. Colby, I couldn't agree more. I appreciate that. <laughs> and uh, we're trying to wave the Big 12 banner here in Indianapolis, you know, with Baylor. So I appreciate being on with you. Looking forward to the game tonight. Sounds good, my friend. And safe travels back. Appreciate it. Thank you. That is John Morris, play-by-play voice of the Baylor Bears, joining me on the Colby Daniels podcast. Again, as he gets ready to call Baylor Gonzaga for the NCAA Tournament Championship tonight. It's going to be an awesome game. Really appreciate his time. All right, here is Mike Steely covering the Masters. It is Masters week. Uh, it, it kind of feels like a strange Masters week. We had the postponement a year ago, and then we had the fall version of the Masters, and it's it swung back around to the normal time, but we're not that far removed from Dustin Johnson just smoking the field. Uh, Mike Steely, you are the Masters man, the man with a Masters tattoo. This is your favorite <laughs> event, even. Does it feel a little strange that the Masters is happening? Am, am I the only one that kind of has that weird feeling about how all of this has shaken out over the last year you know it's more weird that we played back in november and as you said dustin johnson just decimated the rest of the field had a great great event and we always wondered you know dj had a game tailor-made for augusta why did he struggle early on in his master's career and then he got progressively better and he finally won so to me it was more weird again in november but what's unusual is just to have two and five and a half months or five months right. or whatever it is. You know, it just, it just feels like it's coming around too soon. But to me, you know, 
it's Augusta, it's spring, it's, you know, we've got, this is my favorite week of the year with the national championship game, and you've got baseball just getting underway, and then we go to Augusta. I, I just love this time of the year. It's so cool. Yeah. Uh, look, I, I, I'm not complaining whatsoever. I will be absolutely glued to the television. But again, it, you mentioned November. It, it, ju- it literally feels like the last time I watched golf was not that long ago, and it was Dustin Johnson running away from things. So uh, generally, like I, I, I will remember the leader and I'll remember, a, you know, a lot of the the like Sunday stuff from the year before, but I'll have to go like refresh my memory on, you know, what most of the field did in the previous year's Masters. Right. With this year, I feel like it's all so fresh. Like, I, I don't really have to do that. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a different a different feeling just to award two green jackets in five months' time. But uh, And look, DJ's still the number one player in the world. He's playing great. Justin Thomas is second. Uh, you know, the story this week, I think there are three storylines for me. Uh, Jordan Spieth back in the mix, winning at uh, San Antonio, the Valero Texas Open on Sunday, holding off Charlie Hoffman, making all the key shots he needed to make to win that tournament because uh, he had struggled, you know, nearly four years since he won. Uh, his last victory was that 2017 British Open or Open Championship victory when he beat Matt Kuchar. And I still remember that long putt <laughs> where he pointed at Michael Greller and said, go get that. <laughs> you know, one of the great tour sauce moments we've had in a long time. But to have speed back in the mix because he's won a green jacket, He's had a disaster at Augusta on number 12 when it looked like he was going to win again. Uh, so that's a storyline. Can DJ repeat? Uh, number two, you know, he's still number one in the world, but he hasn't played. You know, the, his past couple of events, he pulled out of uh, uh, Texas last week at Valero. Um, you know, but he's a threat. Obviously, anytime he's on, he's going to be very difficult to beat. And the third storyline to me is one that was really number one last year, uh, and that is – can Bryson DeChambeau overpower the course? Now, he didn't do it early last year at Augusta or, you know, in November at Augusta, uh, but he started to get progressively better. And if he's on with that driver, he can overpower the course. There's no doubt, and he'd be very tough to beat. So those are the three storylines I'm looking at uh, heading into the first round Thursday. Is Tiger Woods not being there a major storyline? Yeah, I think I think it is, you know, because there's always Tiger – when you think about he's at 15 majors, you know, a lot of people, including, a, you know, one guy on the radio thought he'd never win another major again <laughs> and had the greatest wager of all time until Tiger disproved him, of course, by winning at Augusta again. But we always think, all right, if Tiger's going to win another major or two, it's going to happen at Augusta because he knows the course so well, um, you know, and his health. Now, we don't know if he'll ever be back at Augusta National again. You never know. You know, he's back home. He's starting his rehab, but, man, the injury sounded so bad in that uh, rollover accident he had out in California, which is still mysterious. But, you know, yeah, I think Tiger's always a storyline, particularly at Augusta, and he's got five green jackets. Only one guy has more, and that's Jack. So, yeah, I do think it's a story, but it's not, you know, it's, it's, it's not the top story, one of the top two or three stories, but Tiger's always a story. I'm going to have a master's draft a little later in the week, uh, so I'll get some advice on that. But just from a fandom standpoint, I need guys to root for and I need guys to root against. Uh, Like all sports, I need heroes. I need villains. I feel like Bryson DeChambeau has clearly become one of the guys that's firmly on the villain side of things for me. What directions would you point me in for heroes and villains in this thing? Well, villain, you got to start with Patrick Reed, number one. 
you know, and he's won a green jacket there because he's a cheater. And, uh, you know, Bryson's interesting because there's very little middle ground on Bryson DeChambeau. You either really like him and you find him interesting because of the, you know, the same length on the irons and the scientific approach and the Ben Hogan cap and all of that stuff. You kind of find that refreshing. He's different. He's unique. Uh, you know, he's an interesting personality. Or you're, you're like one of the people who are like, all right, dude, come on. You know, you're, you're the smartest guy in the room. You're that guy that everybody despises. But you're, you're not really – there are many people in the middle on Bryson DeChambeau. And to be honest with you, I fluctuate on either side. Sometimes I'm like, man, this is cool watching him overpower this course. And then he'll say something ridiculous <laughs> in his post-round interview or something. I'm like, man, I don't like that, dude. It's really weird with him. But I think Billings, Patrick Reed, uh, another guy to root for – Lee Westwood, been playing great. He had a couple runner-up finishes, of course, to DeChambeau. Uh, was one, of course, but you think about, um, you know, how long he's been at it. He's been the final round leader uh, at Augusta on occasion. One of those guys who's, you know, way up there age-wise, but has always been close in these majors. He's top five. I, I believe that Westwood may have top three in every major. I know it's at least top five. And, you know, he hasn't won a major, and he's been playing great. He's got his girlfriend on the bag, seems to be enjoying life. I think he'd be a very popular win. I think a lot of people like Tony Finau, um, just because he's kind of laid back. He's, still a, he's won a, a <clears throat> one PGA Tour event. It was a half-field event. Uh, you know, and he also, you know, looked like he broke his ankle in the par three there recently <laughs> and snapped it back into place. He was chasing Tiger, you know, and he hit it in the water on 12 when Tiger – I uh, won, you know, a couple of years ago, and he's pretty popular. But to me, the villain role is always Patrick Reed. Always. DJ Singh's in there. He used to be a big villain, and he's a For former sure. Masters champion, so he'll be playing. But he is, you know, that's not the old DJ Singh, but DJ played that role for a long time. But I think the villain is no doubt Patrick Reed. Are there are there any golfers in the field that have local ties that you feel like are really poised to, to maybe get one, whether it's, you know, somebody that, that played at Oklahoma State or – whatnot well hobland is the uh, the highest ranked player so i would give him the best shot and you only have four remember ricky fowler's not playing right ricky fowler had to win last week he struggled so much and keep in mind ricky fowler was the runner-up in 2018 i mean he had a great final round uh it's going to be weird not seeing him there you've got victor hobland you have matthew wolf you have abraham answer from ou and then you have uh, Robert Streb from Edmond in Kansas State who won an event in the fall, uh, I think it was, and is qualified. So that's it. That's it for the local guys. So I'd go hobbling one. Matthew Wolf has had a really interesting year. He's had a wrist injury, and he's had some really bad tournaments. And then he's played okay. I would probably go hobbling one, Abraham Answer from OU second, then Wolf, and then uh, Robert Streb. All right. In so, that order. So I mentioned uh, that I'm going to have a master's draft a little later in the week, and, and it's based on rankings. You have to take guys that are ranked in certain tiers. Obviously, I think most of us know, you know, the guys in the top couple tiers and, and the notable names that are going to be on the course. Uh, who are maybe some of the dark horses, the guys that are lower ranked, maybe, maybe somewhere ranked below like 30 uh, that you think uh, could make a push or that you like to, to potentially score a little bit this weekend? Well, there's Abraham Answers ranked 31st in the world, so there's one. Um, in terms of guys that could really compete there, how about Jordan Spieth? He's 38. There we go. Right now. 
You know, Jordan Spieth had declined. I think before uh, Valero, Jordan Spieth was somewhere in the 50s, and he jumped like, you know, 15 spots or something with his win. Um, other than that, you've got, oh, I'm trying to think, who is uh, Corey Connors has been playing well. He is 43rd in the world, I think. Um, you know, um, Carlos Ortiz is another guy that's played well. Maybe Brian Harmon, who got in. Um, you know, he's a Georgia player, Georgia, Georgia native. He's 50th in the world in that range. Uh, could be a sleeper. has been playing pretty well. Uh, Jason Day's never won at Augusta, but he was number one in the world for a number of weeks, and he's dropped down to, like, 53 in that range. So that's another one. But I'm trying to think of anybody that I really like that is playing well uh, that's in the 20s maybe. And, um, you know, Brooks Kepka is playing. Uh, through the knee injury, Rory is trending in the wrong direction, trying to win the career grand slam with a win at Augusta. Um, Matthew Fitzpatrick might be a name to look at. I think he's in the 16 to 20 range in the world rankings. Paul Casey's been playing well. Uh, maybe here's a good one. Maybe Scotty Scheffler uh, is in the world rankings around 21 to 22, and he's been playing really well. So those are some of the sleepers I would look at. I'm a, I am definitely team Brooks Kepka, my favorite golfer, mostly because he represents my golf fandom. I, I'm there for the majors, but uh, all the weeks in between, I'm, I'm probably doing something else. Yeah. Well, he, you know, he's been a, he's been great in the majors. You know, he's been fighting through the knee injury. Uh, you know, he's had, but he was out there practicing and says, I wouldn't be here if I didn't think I had a chance to win. So Brooks is still, he's, you know him, he's always confident. And he was there. He was one shot behind Tiger uh, a few years ago, obviously. And, uh, you know, at any major, you got to look at him. I don't know if he's 100%, but he says, like like he said on the range the other day, man, I wouldn't be here if I didn't think I had a chance to win. So, um, yeah, and there, there are a lot of fans like that. The majors are everything. And they're not going to watch Valero yesterday. I get that. And Brooks Kepka has kind of modeled his game around <laughs> that. I think what has he won? I think he's won all majors in, like, one other event, if I'm not mistaken. That sounds right. Yeah, that sounds right. Uh, what is what's the crowd situation going to be? Well, my last understanding was they were going to have like twenty twenty five percent, I think, just a, okay. of what they would normally have, um, unless they changed that. And that had been I don't know, maybe three weeks ago. But that was my understanding. There will be some patrons, but not nearly as many as we've seen. Um, you know, so we'll see. I don't think they've changed that, but I yeah. believe it was in that range. What was your enjoyment level, or maybe uh, it maybe you didn't enjoy it as much? But in November, when you watched this thing, like how how different was that? How what what did you think were the benefits, or maybe the uh, downsides of that? Oh, it was it was cool actually not to see the patrons there. Just yeah. a few marshals and a few I'm sure dignitaries from Augusta that were out there. That was kind of cool to see because you don't get to see parts of that course just because there's so many people around the greens and around the fairways and tee boxes, which also makes it cool, but it was just different to see that the colors. I didn't see as many fall colors as I thought I would. There were some out there. So that was a little bit different, but you know, the problem was you never feel felt like Dustin Johnson was going to lose, you know, for the longest time, which made it a little more um, anticlimactic than it normally would be. But I thought it was different just to see what the course would look like in November. And we got to see a little bit of a different perspective again just because we didn't have the patrons there. Um, 
you know, and you just had some larger areas around the greens that people probably aren't familiar with. Like so many of those greens are just, you've got the patrons within like, you know, in some instances, five, 10 yards away from the greens or closer, like on 16. I mean, they hug that green pretty much. There's a few open areas over there. Um, you know, and it's really unique. And I think it's super cool if you go because you can put your folding chair there and sit there all day and then wander around or, you know, if you want to leave for a while then come right back and that chair is going to be there for you. But it definitely made the course look a little bit different in November. You're right about the Dustin Johnson thing. I always feel like on most Sundays, you know, you have like one guy that may be surging and the reactions from the crowd you know, even if the golfer that's leading maybe isn't isn't on that core on that hole, uh, you hear these these reactions on other parts of the course, and you know somebody is surging. And I just imagine mm-hmm. that having some yep. sort of impact on the pressure you feel. Um, again, I, DJ was up by so much that that may not have had any impact at all if there were fans there and if that that were to happen. But uh, I, I did think that part of it was was kind of unique and probably made things easier across the board for everyone. Yeah, that's a good point because there you can tell at Augusta on the back nine on Sunday when a roar happens almost every time what happened. You can hear a birdie roar. You can hear an eagle roar. They're different. And you can almost, oh, man, somebody made eagle on 15. You know, let's get over there. And yeah. then you, you know, you find it, it just sounds different. And that's one of the things that certainly was missed because – you can get like Jack in 86 or Tiger two years ago when Tiger was there playing a very strategic game. You know, he was playing solid, but he was kind of waiting on that door to swing open and people to make mistakes. And then we got to 12 and Molinari hit it in the water and Fina hit it in the water and kept getting the way, you know, all those guys hit it in and the crowd, boom, they were right into it. Uh, it looked like Tiger wasn't making much of a move until then. He was kind of hanging around, but Molinari was making every shot. Once that happened, those roars started, and I believe that helped carry Tiger to another green jacket. So, yeah, particularly if you're the leader, like DJ was in November, and you don't have to hear those roars, and, you know, if somebody made Eagle on, you know, 15, you know, ahead of DJ, there was nothing to hear. You might just check the scoreboard. And that can get in your head a little bit, and it also gives an adrenaline rush and extra confidence to the player that just made a great score. So that certainly made it different. So, and the roars will be back to a certain extent with the amount of patrons they're going to have. It won't be the same, but it'll, it'll be yeah. it'll at least be noisy around there <laughs> when it really wasn't last November. I, I know you have uh, a bunch of Masters giveaways coming up on the stream. Um, tell everybody about what to tune into this week. Well, we've got a daily Masters giveaway today um, on the stream. We're going to allow the first 44 people in to pick two players. I've got the top 44 on one wheel and the bot and the others in another wheel. So you'll get basically one A or B player and then somebody else from the rest of the field. So we're doing that today. Maybe tomorrow we might get all 44 done today. But then we're going to have a daily Masters prize that we'll run a random draw for. Uh, and I've got a really cool, all this stuff from Augusta came in last week, a red Masters cap. I've got this really cool performance Masters cap we'll give away. I've got a Masters folding chair. We've got a set of uh, ball markers and a divot tool. And then we also have a, a Masters coffee mug. So we're giving those away um, each day, one of those items, uh, Monday through Friday this week, too. Very nice. Which be cool. And, and I, will, uh, I will be drinking out of my former uh, trash cups 
that that were brought back. <laughs> I never dumpster dive. Well, maybe there are no dumpsters at Augusta. If there was a cup sitting on the top of one of the receptacles, yes, I would grab it and wash it out. So maybe that's dumpster diving. But as I've always said, there are no germs at Augusta, sir. Amen. Amen. COVID can't make it through those gates. That's true. Still, man, always appreciate it, man. And uh, we'll catch up again next week, obviously, Monday on the Tulsa Animal, and uh, we'll tune into the stream. Anytime, my man. I appreciate it. I'm picking Justin Thomas, by the way. Very nice. Justin Thomas. So, uh, that, that, he's. I think he might be in my villain group, by the way. Yeah, he's – you know what's interesting? The stupid thing he said on the putting, you know, when he missed that putt, you know, not, not a good look. He's had a couple bad looks like that. But, uh, you know, he's – I can see a little bit that he looks a little annoying at, at times. But uh, <laughs> I li- I know he didn't play as well as he could in the match play. Other than that, he's trending pretty well. I think it's going to be maybe a battle between he and his buddy Jordan Spieth uh, come Sunday and probably DJ somewhere in the mix too. Well, hopefully, hopefully it comes down to the final hole and we have – maybe one or two or three uh, contenders beyond just the leader. So always fun. Hopefully it'll be, hopefully, hopefully it'll be one tenth of what we had uh, in the Gonzaga UCLA game. If we get one tenth of that excitement, I'll be very happy. Amen. Can we, if we can get a finish like that, I'll be happy. Yeah. Right. All right. See you, buddy. Thanks Colby. Once again, big thanks to Mike Steely for joining me on today's show. Uh, and, and don't forget to check out Mike Steely's afternoon stream. He's giving away Masters gear all week long. So um, look for that link. I believe it's uh, M Steelman when, if you want to search uh, Twitch so you can find it there. But uh, you can find all that information on Mike's Twitter as well. All right, that is it for this episode of the Colby Daniels Podcast presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products, including Kratom, CBD, and Delta 8. If you have any questions or need help educating yourself on these products and their benefits, don't hesitate to call Artisan Botanicals 405-458-9699. Plus, we're saving you 15% when you order online. So visit abotanicalcompany.com. Use the discount code Colby Show, and we will save you 15% off your online order. Once again, abotanicalcompany.com. Everybody, have a great day, stay safe, and I will see you tomorrow. Podcast is over.